In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to a very special mini-sode of the Feelin' Film podcast. Today, I'm joined by Blaine Grimes from Real World Rewind to talk about a film that is already being considered one of the primary frontrunners for the Best Picture Oscar in 2017. That movie is La La Land, the new musical from Whiplash director Damien Chazelle. The story is simple. A jazz pianist falls for an aspiring actress. But this tale's emotional depth and incredible technical achievements make it far from just another movie about trying to succeed in Hollywood. Blaine, I am so ready to dig into this movie. <laughs> Thank you for being here again so soon uh, to talk about this film. I, I mean, I have been aching to do this for the last week and a half uh, since I first saw the movie. Um, we are going to talk spoilers. We're going we're gonna to talk in depth about the film, its plot, its characters. So for anyone listening that has not seen the movie yet, please go ahead and turn away at this point. Come back to us after you get a chance to see it. I know it's not in wide release yet, but it should be soon. should be somewhere near you, uh, and you should be able to go do that. But you don't want to have this one spoiled. You want to experience it for yourself that first time. So, Blaine, I am curious what you thought about this movie and what your initial experience with this film was. And particularly, I wonder... Was this a movie that you had your eye on for any amount of time leading up to it? Was this something that uh, you had been paying attention to? Or was this just something that you said, oh, I'm going to go check that out because it's getting some buzz? So tell us, tell us, tell us what you thought about it and kind of how you led up to seeing this one in theaters. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back on again. It hasn't been that long since, since I was on talking about The Incredibles with you, but I'm glad to be back and really glad to be back talking about um another great film so so thanks for having me on i'm kind of curious though like do you like this movie aaron i can't tell i, I you know i kind of i'm i'm kind of lukewarm on it yeah I'm, I'm trying to i'm gonna try and rein my i'm trying to rein myself in here I'm, i want to i want you to talk first because i'm afraid <laughs> that i could i could be very an overpowering force uh, for this film, if I'm not careful, <laughs> but no, I I love it. And if you out there, if you pay any attention to me on social media, uh, or even the Feelin' Film social media feeds, you know that I am head over heels in love with La La Land. And the cool thing is, Blaine, that we had talked about this before uh, months yeah. ago. Months ago, we talked about wanting to do this film together, and we didn't think it was going to work out because of the timing. And so we ended up having to do Incredibles. Uh, as an alternative and then the timing changed and we were able to do both so that's just super awesome yeah it's great and so to answer your question i i saw whiplash uh, last year after it was nominated um for the academy award best, uh, for best picture um i got to see it in theaters and saw it a couple of times at least twice and was blown away by it and so as soon as i heard that uh chazelle was doing another film i was just really really excited pumped to see it 
And so I was just kind of keeping track of production as much as I could. Of course, like being excited for lower budget, more indie film like this is a lot different than being excited for a huge film like Rogue One because you have to wait forever to get any sort of bits about the movie. So I remember being really excited when the trailer finally came out. And it wasn't all that long ago, actually. Um, I mean, there there wasn't a huge ad campaign. And like you said, the film's still not in a terribly wide release. So yeah, I was I was definitely looking forward to this movie and will always be looking forward to anything uh, Damien Chazelle does from this point uh, forward. So yeah, very excited. Good and deal. it paid off big time. Oh, did it? It sure did. I, you know, I... I agree. It's it's interesting how late in the game the first trailers for this came. I remember it. I mean, it wasn't until probably November that I noticed them. You know, this is a film that was set to initially set to have its wide opening. I think December the second or early first week of December it got pushed back a couple weeks for reasons unknown to me. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it it has not had a big marketing blitz behind it. And it's it's curious, um, and it, it makes me wonder how that's going to play into its its ultimate, you know, place in the world with with people getting a chance to see it and awards chatter. Obviously, the awards uh, chatter is still there. It's won the New York Critics mm-hmm. Association. Um, it won their Best Picture. It's being considered one of the front runners. Uh, for the award and and numerous other awards, best actors, best actress, um, musical awards, uh, and rightfully so, screenwriting, etc. And like Whiplash, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I didn't see Whiplash in theaters. I didn't get a chance to. I wasn't, I guess, in the know at the time, and it wasn't until after it got nominated and I was playing my catch-up, like I always do at the Oscars time, trying to see everything that I needed to see that I came upon whiplash and was able to, to rent it and watch it. I think on that, at, on, at that point on video and I kind of missed, I missed out and I, and that's sad because I would have loved to seen that in a theater. I think, I think there would have been an interesting feeling of when that tension that whiplash brings you mm-hmm. having a communal experience with other people around you and I think it would have been kind of awkward too, like not knowing like how to feel uh, about whiplash uh, and the content and and people next to you um, would have been a, just an, an interesting theater moment. Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting theater moment and it was especially interesting because I, um, I went to see it by myself uh, for the first time because that's how I do things. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I guess nobody wanted to come with me to see that or whatever. But I, I was by myself, saw it by myself, and just loved it. And so I told my wife when I got home that day, I was like, you've got to go see this movie with me. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. And so we went to see it the very next day together. And she's a very musical person. She sang in choir in college, and she's singing all the time. She loves music. And she actually, she appreciated the movie and enjoyed it as a well-done film, but I think the movie itself hit too close to home for mm, her. Yeah. Um, as someone who's been around that sort of environment before, um, it was just a little bit too close to home, made her very, very uncomfortable. And that's something, obviously, like I was, you know, unsettled in the points that I was supposed to be unsettled in, but it didn't quite hit home in a personal way like that um, for me. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one of those films that's worth worth watching with other people in a in a community environment. 
Yeah, I agree. I think I've known people that had the same reaction and, and had musical histories with teachers that were maybe not on the level of the one portrayed in Whiplash, but somewhat close uh, enough that like your wife, it was, it, it hit them pretty close to home. And, you know, that's a point that La La Land uh, actually has, does something similar mm-hmm. for me. Um, you know, it, it connects to me in a very personal way. Uh, with its particular story and there's there's nothing you can really say to quantify or explain how to quantify that effect that it, would, it has on you in general and that that goes for any film that does this to any of us um, this one for me has just happened to be a a truly transcendent experience to the to the level of something that I've never ever had in film the only thing I can recall, even remotely close to the way I feel about La La Land right now, is my experience with the Lord of the Rings trilogy in theaters. Grew up a big fan, uh, you know, was a Tolkien geek for many, many, many years, way before mm-hmm. the movies came into play. And so seeing that realized in such an amazing way, going through that, seeing them multiple times in the theaters each time that was very special and it's really the closest thing but even that i connected with those more on a fandom level than on a personal note kind of probably like how you i know you're a huge huge star wars fan so you're probably very mm-hmm. excited right now i know you you're you've seen rogue one a couple times and yep probably in love with it um which is awesome but it, it was probably similar for me in in lord of the rings world where you know, because of my attachment to that that lore, it creates this impact uh, on me. Where La La Land has nothing to do with that. It has to do with me, you know, imagining myself as these characters in various ways and putting myself in their shoes uh, and and seeing how they react and the situations they go through. And it just it nails me every time. But so trying to figure out where to start, there's there's plenty of places to go since we've already talked about Whiplash. I know you and I talked a little offline about comparing comparing these two Mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, What was it that you had said to me? Because I don't remember about Whiplash versus La La Land and their stories. Yeah, I think I said something. Well, we. You were you put on Facebook, I think, that you were watching Whiplash. And I think I commented something to the effect of, I, I can't wait to um, watch these two films together when I can own them both at home and do a double feature, just back to back. And that got me thinking about, not for the first time, but that got me thinking more and more about, about how related these two films are and how these films are really exploring very similar questions but they're doing it in ways that make you think or even better for this show feel about those questions or the potential answers to those questions in different ways. So they're definitely exploring very, very similar territory. I have not seen uh, Chazelle's first film. Uh, what is it? Guy and Madeline sit on a park bench. Yeah. it's <laughs> Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I have not seen that first film. Um, 
But these films are so closely related. I wouldn't be surprised if either we've got these two films sort of bundled as a as a double feature, or if we're going to get another another film from Chazelle that sort of makes this a trilogy, a, a sort of loosely connected trilogy, a thematic trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, because these films seem to be very, very much in in dialogue. Obviously, I mean, mu- on a much deeper level than just the fact that they're about musicians or aspiring musicians. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that, that we can unpack that, but yeah, I would say that both of these films and, and La La Land, especially seem to be exploring this, this question of can professional success and personal and some sort of personal life or personal relationships coexist, right? Can you have personal success and personal relationships and be successful at both? basically. And it asks that question. And I suppose the answer that it arrives at uh, might depend on the way you want to interpret certain events in both of these films. Um, But it's interesting to me, even technically the way these films seem to be uh, complementing one another, even as they're very different. So for instance, in Whiplash, the way that film is shot and edited together is um, very different from the way La La Land is shot and edited together. So in Whiplash, the film is punctuated with a ton of very, very short shots, just Mm -hmm. sort of bop, 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 put together. And so the way the film is edited, it's almost like uh, the shots themselves are musical notes that give the film a certain flow and a certain rhythm uh, throughout the entire narrative. Um, So it makes the film feel very musical makes it also feel very energetic when there's tons of quick shots like that. So, I mean, like remember that final scene in whiplash is just like one of the most unbearably tense moments I think I've ever had in, in a movie theater. Um, so tons of short shots together. Um, so it gives the film a very, very jazzy vibe, but La La Land on the other hand, um, it, uses a lot uh, Chazelle shoots in a lot of long takes or sequence shots especially for all of the music the big musical numbers or most of the bu- big musical numbers mm-hmm. um, they're shot in long takes single shots so they're uh, and the camera's just sort of gliding around following these actors and what that does is it immerses you as a viewer in the action in the singing it makes you feel like you're there at this party or on this freeway or wherever it is in all of these different set pieces, singing and dancing and just being a part of, of this reality, this world with the actor, it immerses you in, in the narrative. So he does that for most of the, the long, uh, the long sort of big temple, uh, musical numbers, but there's this really interesting moment in whiplash. Um, and it comes probably, halfway to three quarters of the way through the film when uh, Mia and Sebastian have their first big argument. Um, he comes home from tour and um, they have, they have you know their first big fight after he's cooking dinner. Maybe it even happens a little bit before that when they're, um, when they're um, at the big concert, his, his big concert and they're performing um, begin again or um, uh, it's hearts on fire. I believe is hearts the... on fire. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or start a fire. Start a fire. Start a fire. Start a fire. <laughs> start when a fire. they're performing that that big musical number. Um. Anyways, my point is that that there, uh, Chazelle returns to more conventional editing patterns. Mm-hmm. We have shorter shots, shot counter shot. Um, and so it's it's more conventional editing patterns. It's you know the kind of editing patterns you see in almost every major Hollywood movie, but 
because the first half of the film has been filled with so many long takes, those conventional editing patterns feel cold and different and strange, and it's off-putting. So he uses those conventional editing, editing patterns there to sort of make you feel put off by what Sebastian's doing there, the same way that Mia feels, and to make you feel put off by the dissolution, uh, the dis- dissolution of their relationship there. So it's interesting how he uses these formal elements to communicate what's going on internally um, in these characters' lives. Um, I'll stop there, and I'll let you jump in. Well, <laughs> well, that is that's awesome. I mean, I I think you're absolutely right, and I picked up on that as well. I probably couldn't have said it nearly as eloquently as you, so I'm glad that you did. But <laughs> you're 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 right on the money as far as the tonal shift, especially of the editing in La La Land, and how we get that break as the story changes, as the relationship between Mia and Sebastian goes from this romance this initial blossoming and and bright, fun, exciting love to the harsh reality of facing everyday challenges and decisions that have to be made. And the fact that everything is not always going to be roses and sunshine. And you're right. It does really, he meaning Chazelle really does have an ability to transport us and make us feel based on just the way in which he shoots, which is which is brilliant. And that's that's one of the things that I was referencing when I say that this has technical wizardry or te- incredible technical achievements mm-hmm. about it is that kind of filmmaking. It's something that we don't always pay attention to, but it's affecting us nonetheless, whether we know it or not. There's mm-hmm. actually some shots at the beginning of uh, La La Land, where there is very similar to Whiplash in that frenetic, fast-paced shot yeah. moments, uh, particularly when we see Mia at her coffee shop. Yep. Uh, there's some some of those fast-paced, you know, boom, boom, boom shots, yep. uh, which I absolutely love, by the way. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of Whiplash. It's just the way that we, we get those, you know, bang, bang, bang. And I love that you equate that to a certain style of music or to musical notes and thinking about it in those terms makes a lot of sense. So I love it. Um, and I love the way that we go on this journey with them, not only through the music and not only through the acting, but through the way that the film is shot and through the colors and the lighting of the film, um, which is also done in very specific ways with bright, vibrant tones, you know, giving way to, more dull, darker mm-hmm. shades as we get further down this path where they're starting to have to deal with these issues. So I think that's a, a great point uh, and a great comparison to make between the two. It's also, it, so it seems like on a thematic level, we, we talked a little bit about what's going on on a, on a technical level, but on a thematic level, it seems to me, and this is, I think this may be a bit of an oversimplification, but the uh, the sort of personal relationship component to um, oh I'm forgetting character's name in Whiplash Miles Tell- Miles Teller's character um, why can't I remember his name but at any rate his character um, it seems like the st- we're not so much focused on his his personal relationships or lack thereof I mean we do get quite a bit of interaction with him and his father and that's significant um, 
So like I said, this is a bit of an oversimplification. But as far as his romantic interests, um, he you know he finally works up the courage to ask uh, Supergirl on a date. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the actress's name. It's or okay. Name, but Supergirl. Yeah. Um, and he he asks her on a date, and they start dating a little bit. But that's getting in the way of his his you know his professional pursuits, and he ends up sort of pushing her away. And that just seems to be one piece, like a like one Lego in the entire castle uh, that's being built in in that film. In La La Land, it seems like we take that component and put it in the spotlight. We take we take the the idea of someone trying to work toward personal or artistic success and maintain some sort of romantic personal relationship and put that front and center. So that seems to be how another way that these two films are are interacting. There's also a really interesting shot. We'll probably talk about this more later. I noticed in the final scenes uh, and the final few shots of both of these films, there's a focus on the character's eyes. Hmm. So there's, there's a brilliant moment in, in whiplash that um, where we finally see uh, JK Simmons character, we see him just nod and, and it's a very tight shot just up on his eyes. And we see this, this sort of flash in his eyes where he sees that that um that his protege has has made it and that's a fantastic moment we see something very similar um at least on a technical level in the way the shot is framed at the end of this film where these two characters me and sebastian when they recognize each other in the club there's just kind of a hey i see you i recognize you and then there's a nod Mm -hmm. um but it's a very different kind of nod it means something very different from what uh, the nod does in whiplash. So it's very interesting how those, those two things mirror one another. Yeah, they do. They really do. They, it, it's, it's kind of eerie <laughs> how he, mm-hmm. how he, how, if you watch them back to back and I did this on purpose, um, after my first viewing of La La Land, um, I was going for my second viewing a couple days ago and I watched whiplash the night before and I wanted to see, like you mentioned, I wanted to see those comparisons and just, and just see what, what he was taking from each one and they're so connected uh, despite mm-hmm. being like you said, wildly different. And I love that you brought up the difference in romantic relationships in the two Andrew and Natalie characters names, by the way um, mm. in whiplash, you know, like you mentioned, Andrew pushes Natalie away before anything can even happen. He He's very, he's proactively stopping the relationship. She even mentions it. She's like, so you're breaking up with me in case something was to happen mm-hmm. because something in the future could go wrong. And he's like, yes, absolutely. You know, yes. So for him, it, it was never love and, and relationship was never going to be as str- as strong for another human as his desire to be the greatest. And that's the character we continually see. Whereas in La La, in La, La Land, that's not how Sebastian's character is built. Um, you know, he definitely has this passion and this dream, but he is more than open to living in a relationship with another human being. Um, that is, you know, he's just not seeking it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, there's a, there's a great scene there in the beginning where his sister is in his apartment. And <laughs> I gotta say, uh, one of my, one of the things I love the most, I love a lot of things about this movie a lot, like everything, basically. But yeah. one thing that stood out is the way that um, Gosling, at least there's three occasions I know of for sure, 
where he jumps <laughs> and he's surprised. Mm-hmm. And every time it's just fantastic to see him do it because it's it's he does it so well that it's the same surprise jump. And that first time as he walks into his apartment and, you know, all we see is him in the doorway framed and, and he looks in through an open doorway and we can't see in that. We don't know what's in there. And he yeah. just, you know, he jumps and it's because his sister's there. But in that scene, she's trying to give him a girl's number. And, you know, his first question is, does she like jazz? <laughs> and, yeah. and his sister's like, no. And he's like, then why would I call her? <laughs> and yeah. So he knows what he wants and he's willing to explore that if it's the right thing. Whereas I don't think in Whiplash that's the character we get. We get a character who's much more much more willing to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. um, and everything around him to get that dream. Uh, where Gosling seems, his character seems more, he he sacrifices himself for Mia. What he believes he's doing is sacrificing himself for Mia. It's, it's why it's almost tragic mm-hmm. in so many ways. Um, what takes place here is because, you know, it, the ego comes out during that dinner table scene in, in a very frustrating and real and raw, I mean, that, that scene is just so powerful. Yeah. Not only from the acting prowess of Emma Stone, by the way, because she just is incredible with the camera close up on her face. Um, yeah, my wife said, oh. she said, I can't watch her cry without without crying. Uh, you can't. I mean, she yeah. is just amazing. And but what we see there is, you know, we see Sebastian start to get defensive and he's the wall starts to come up when he realizes she's not understanding that he did this for her. You know, all all he really wants is to hear, you know, good job, my faithful servant. Good job, my, yeah. you know, good good job. Thank you. Thank you for signing on that dotted line and giving up all of this because you thought that's what I wanted. And he doesn't get that from her. And and so he puts that wall up, you know, and it begins what every really, you know, we've all gone through probably relationships like this mm-hmm. where once we put those walls up, now it becomes this battle of attrition and we're, we're kind of, we're no longer communicating <laughs> in the way that we need to communicate and things just degrade and degrade and degrade. Uh, so yeah, I, I love, I love the comparisons um, and we don't have to keep going on those, but it, it's one just more, one more. Uh, go ahead. Just because it's yes. fun. You, go, you mentioned no. fun moments. I love it. Um, the casting of J.K. Simmons is fantastic. Oh, because it he's is. like, I mean, he he's the guy pushing, you know, pushing everybody in Whiplash to, you know, you've got to stretch yourself, you got to push yourself, be the best you can be. And then he's this this club owner or whatever in in La La Land who's like, no, just play it opposite. safe, just yeah, play it straight. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a great that was a great uh, casting choice. Brilliant, fun. It um, really was. And his final moment, of course, just his yeah, him showing up during that that ending sequence and. You know, snapping his fingers and waving yes. him out the door with this goofiest grin you will ever see on the guy's face uh, was awesome. So I agree. I think choosing him to play that particular role is important. It wasn't yeah. about just having him in the movie. It was about having him in a movie in a specific manner that, like you said, ties those together. It, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because now you've got me thinking about you know trilogies and the idea of this connected universe uh, yeah. in a way and digging it in a big time. But, um, yeah. So, you know, when I saw this movie, going back to my initial impressions, it was a, an incredibly enchanting experience. I, so I had 
high expectations for this film. Um, this was my Star Wars. Uh, this was my Rogue One or my Force Awakens. I had been tracking this movie for a little over a year. Loved the director. Loved both of the actors. Really like musicals, generally speaking. It just had high hopes for it. I had refused to watch a trailer uh, and, and made it all the way through without doing so. And, you know, finally it comes around and I'm able to get to go to an advanced screening of it by a couple of days. So I grabbed someone, a friend, local friend from our feeling film, uh, Facebook group, actually one of our listeners. And, you know, he went with me. We, we go to the theater. It was the first ever screening where people were, I believe turned away. Um, there were more people than we could get into the theater. It seemed like, and, you know, I, I just, I, I remember this um, feeling of amazement that I just can't compare to anything I've ever had before. When that initial opening number comes on and it's that dance, that dance sequence for another day in the sun. And, uh, it's so vibrant. It's so colorful. This film starts with the absolute stereotype of LA. The worst thing about LA culture, LA life is the traffic. And here we get it. We see hundreds of cars piled up on this interstate. Nobody's going anywhere. It's hot. It's miserable. And yet what they do is they flip it on its head right out of the gate and they give us this incredibly joyful song and happy number. Uh, and you know, from, it was from that moment that it, it grabbed me and I don't know how much that influenced my viewing going forward and whether that softened me to being more receptive to the film or in a way biased me somewhat because I was so blown away, but I'll tell you it, it was impactful in a way that I don't recall. Um, you know, just in a ways that some movies, if they have bad openings can kind of put you in a state of boredom or, you know, almost inwardly rejecting things, uh, before you see them, this mm-hmm. was the opposite. And this had me in it from jump street and, uh, and learning more about that scene was just a- an awesome experience coming out of that movie. Uh, and w- my point being is that when the film ended and the audience began to clap and cheer, uh, I clapped with them. And the reason that that's important is because I'm a big no clapper at movies. I, <laughs> in fact, I, I, I'm one of the people that will look at other people like they're just dumb and just shake my head. Like, what are you doing? You're clapping for a movie screen. There is no human being there. <laughs> you know, if there's not like there's a director on the stage to talk about the movie, like you're just right. clapping in a movie. But this film had so overcome me with emotion that I couldn't help it. Like I had to. I had to cheer. I had to do something. I had to release and kind of share in that communal experience with everybody around me that was trying to find a way to express what they had just had and what they had just seen. And so I did, I clapped, I cheered, I stood up early, basically like standing O and I don't regret it. And and it was an amazing first experience for me. Yeah. 
that that's really cool. Um, I'm also a, a no clapper, generally speaking. So yeah, it's always it's always something special that that gets me to clap. Unfortunately, like there there weren't just a ton of people clapping um, at our screening, so I'm not going to be the one that <laughs> that starts that kind of thing. Well, no, it no, was also I... <laughs> it was also just a very. It's funny because we both really like this film, and my experience was so different um, coming out of it. Because I I saw your reaction, and I, I would see you posting on Twitter and on <laughs> Facebook, all these places, like, I can't stop dancing, I can't stop listening to the soundtrack. So I'm really excited, also because, again, a whiplash. So I'm really excited to see this film. And then that first musical number comes up, and it's jazzy, and it's fun, and I'm having a blast. It It, it is... It is literally movie magic. I mean, it was, it was a fanta- mm. I mean, just fantastic time of the year. Listening to everything, tapping your feet. So much fun, so much, hu- so much humor in the film, especially early on. And then we hit that point midway, half, midway a little bit over through um, where things turned very melancholy. And that was like, that was one of the most severe gut punches I've ever received emotionally in a theater. Um, because I was having so much fun and enjoying all this. And then it was a gut punch. I'm like, oh yeah, same guy who wrote and directed Whiplash. This is going to be, this is going to be sad. Um, and I was so, I loved the movie so much by the time it was over. Again, appreciated the technical merit, but my reaction was so different from when I came out of Whiplash. Like I said, when I came out of Whiplash, I was excited. Couldn't wait to go see it again with my wife. And here... I was very, my wife and I were both very, very somber. Um, we went out to eat afterwards and we were just kind of like, that was sad. And we, <laughs> you know, we kind of tried to make conversation at dinner, but really what we wanted to do is we just kind of wanted to both sit in silence with one another and think about what we just saw. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's, it's been less than a week since I've seen the film. And so I don't think I fully parsed out the way it's and why and the way, it, uh, why and how it's hit me the way that it has. Um, but this is a film that's really affected me emotionally on, in a, on a very deep level and made me think about things in, in a very, very different light. Um, so it's a great film that does that. And it's just funny because we both love this film and I think the songs are fun and all of that, but we just had very different, different mm-hmm. reactions. And that's what, that's what a great film does is that two people can go see the same movie and have different reactions and think about different things. Um, and I suspect I would, you know, have another reaction, an, an entirely different reaction. We're able to go see it again. So I'm really looking forward to, to a second or third viewing where I can work through that. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that because during my second viewing, I was wrecked more than my first. And I came out of my second viewing much more like you coming out of your first. I cried a lot more the second time around and I, and I didn't understand. <laughs> I felt so dumb. I was, I was in the theater, you know, and, and both times I've been with a male friend. Um, so I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, this is uh you know, I got to keep this in check. But the second time I just, I couldn't, I was like simultaneously experiencing it and also consciously fighting against my reactions, <laughs> trying to, <laughs> you know, make myself, react differently and it wasn't working um and it did it it was much more somber 
for me on the second time around, that's more what I pulled out of it. And, and one of the things that has allowed me to, my love for this movie to grow and grow now, both times I've seen it. I mean, I have plans to see it at least another couple of times. I'm going to take my 13 year old daughter on a, on a daddy daughter date to see it. And I want to see more. And, um, and every time I listen to the soundtrack, which I've done, uh, you know, at least three dozen times all the way through in the last week, I play this thing on repeat constantly. I can't get enough of it, but I can visualize the movie now as I'm going through the soundtrack and replay it in my head and, um, and just chew on these decisions that are made in this film and what it means and, and what it means for me. Like, does it, or does it mean anything for me? Um, what does it mean for anyone? And, and I guess maybe instead of talking around it, we should just get there, uh, and, and bring that up because otherwise we're just, <laughs> we're just, we're just skipping it intentionally at this point. Um, so what we're, what we're talking about here is really the fact that this comes down to two characters who both have dreams and passions. We have Mia who wants to be an actress, but you know, deep down, she also is a screenwriter. She enjoys stage acting. And then we have Sebastian, who is the most passionate character in the film by far, wanting to own a jazz club, wanting to bring back and promote old jazz. It's very, very, very important to him. And it's this clash of that they also have a love for each other that grows. And how do they balance and how do they decide ultimately when it comes time to make a decision, at least in their eyes in the film, that's what happens. They come to having to make a decision. What do you do? Do you pick love or do you pick the dream? (laughs) And ultimately, do you make the right decision? And that's what the film presents us with. And unlike most movies which just makes the choice for us and then lets us imagine what might have happened otherwise. This one decides to completely gut punch us <laughs> and just just compl- just smack us right in the face by giving us a very visual concept of what could have happened differently in this movie mm-hmm. if just minor choices had been a little bit altered. And it it's powerful. It's powerful because it makes you consider your own life. It makes you consider the choices you've made and not necessarily regrets, but it does make you think about it. And and I'm sure it did that for you just as it did for me. It makes me think about what if I'd done X differently or what if I'd said this in response to that fight? What, how would my path have changed? And ultimately it asks the question, would that have put us in a better place? And then beyond that, it asks the question, in my opinion, much the way that Arrival did, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is mm-hmm. is the pain worth the joy that we experience in the moment? So for Sebastian and Mia, was the romance that they experienced together worth worse, blah, worth the pain of ultimately not being able to have the relationship forever, but yet achieving their goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny, and I apologize for continuing to to make comparisons and drawing parallels between this and Whiplash. Um, I almost just can't help it. 
the films are so intertwined. I think it's great. Um, but it's funny because that final scene in Whiplash is so brilliant that, and it asks that question, the same question, is it all worth it, right? I love the way you put the question. Um, but yeah, is it worth it? Is it worth it if you sacrifice love, family, friends to gain success, whatever, whatever you're looking for? And at the end of Whiplash, that scene is so brilliant. Um, you think just for a second, yeah, I think it might be. Um, I don't think I actually think that on a personal level, but the film sort of gets you to, to be willing to go there and say, yeah, maybe, maybe it is. And here in La La Land, my answer was heck no. It's interesting. No way. That's very interesting. Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Not at all. You made a huge, huge mistake. Um, that's part of the reason why I was so sad. And it, a lot of it is due to, like you said, how this movie actually lets us see what could have been. Um, it lets us sort of live out that fantasy, which is which is heartbreaking and, and pain-inducing and all, and all of those things. So, yeah, is it is it worth it? And it, that's a question that it's had me mulling over since I've seen it, um, much in the same way that, that Whiplash did a year ago. And a lot of this is really relevant to me personally right now because I'm sort of still in the early stages of establishing my career. And as someone who's potentially looking at a lifelong career in academia, there are just like with any other job there, there, there are sacrifices that people are expected to make, um, in order to be successful. And so it's a question that I ask myself constantly. Well, is it worth it if I sacrifice time with my wife now and my kids in the future when we when we have kids um is all of this is all of this going to be be worth it if i sacrifice that and of course i tend not i tend to i i say no um i'm, I'm a hopeless romantic so i say no i can't i can't sacrifice and will never sacrifice um, my relationship with my wife or my future relationship with my kids um for this at the same time i think these movies sort of sound a caution to people who would be overly idealistic and, and overly confident in saying, no, I, I would never would. Um, because there's probably a point in, in Sebastian's life or Mia's life where they both said, no, I would never, I would never do that. Yeah. I would always choose love. Um, I would always choose relationships over, over this. Um, so it gets us, it, 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 it causes us to question sort of, you know, our own motives, even as we think we've got a pretty firm answer um, and a pretty firm handle on, on what we would do. Yeah, it does. And it, and it just, you know, I, I've never lived a life or had a life experience where it was a choice between the relationship or the success of of a career. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do understand having a passion for something and not wanting to sacrifice that passion, um, for whether it's time or effort, attention being put into the relationship. And so it just, it really did. It made me think about, you know, could you equally, can you have equally satisfying yet different dreams? Can you have the dream of having a love and have a dream of having this success at the Mm -hmm. same time? Can, can they, can either one or be enough for you? You know, can, if you only go, if you can only get one of those two, you know, can they be equally Okay, and that was the question that I I feel like in in La La Land we were being given an answer of, per the character's response, yes. Mm -hmm. Because I take away, 
that at the end of this film, Sebastian and Mia understand. And Mm -hmm. though not, though, though mournful and, 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 and with, with certain longing for what could have been, Mm. are content Mm -hmm. in what they have chosen. And so, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think that's I think that's partially partially what Chazelle is is telling us, you know, about pursuing your dreams, because that's that's the same impression that you mentioned about Whiplash, and that, that people have told me the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, uh, that was the right ending. You know, I agree with that ending because he gets he achieves his dream, and and you know his teacher is proud of him mm-hmm. in that moment. His idol is proud of him. He's achieved that. And for me, I look at Whiplash completely different, and I say this is a tragedy that yeah. there is no no planet where this is okay to have gone through what he was put through to achieve that. To me, it does not make it worth it. Um, and so it's it's a fascinating question, and it, and that's what I love about both of these movies is that they make us think about these things, and they make us think about it in terms of our own life. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that Chazelle is such a great filmmaker is in those key scenes where he's um, ostensibly giving an answer to the question. um, The door is left wide open for multiple interpretations because I do, I do have friends who say absolutely it was worth it. And they say exactly what you said. His teacher was proud of him. And I think it's very possible. I think the door is fully open to interpret those final glances and not just those final glances, but those final glances in the context of the way the characters act throughout the course of the film that, um, that his teacher's not proud of him, but that his teacher is happy that he's finally found his Charlie Parker. Right. Right. In other words, this is still all just about him. It's all about pride. Yeah. It's all all about, it's all about his pride. Um, and in that case, it's very, very tragic. And so it's interesting then in the final scene of La La Land, we get similar shots. We're looking at characters, very tight shots on their faces. And uh, Chazelle is not telling us, well, he thinks this and she thinks this, and this is exactly how they feel, and this is how you should feel too. He says, you figure it out. Are they content? Does one of them feel regret and the other's content? Are they both discontent? Um, Piece that together on your own, right? He gives you room to wiggle, room to work. That's a sign of a really, really good filmmaker when they don't just have to lay everything in your lap and say, here it is. Here's how you should feel about this. Um, So, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is like, this is the perfect film to talk about um, on your podcast because this film makes every person feel something and probably makes every person feel something a little different. Mm -hmm. And multiple, multiple things. It's a range of emotions, like you said, from Mm -hmm. through the film, we go on a wave of, of this experience from that opening number that you cannot possibly not be joyful and bouncing in your seat and tapping your, your foot and nodding your head and ready to just jump up and start clicking your heels together um, to then ultimately all the way to our final moments of, of such somberness. And you know what else is wonderful uh, technically speaking uh, from a storytelling standpoint, Damien Chazelle not gosh man what a talent i just this guy is incredible we were talking a bit offline about how he's what do we say he was 31 or something mm-hmm. uh, years old unreal unreal um how 
amazing he is at his eye um, for direction, but also his his ability to write. He wrote Ten Cloverfield Lane as well, one of my other favorites of this year, and completely different, <laughs> right? Completely different yeah. type of film. Um, but anyway, in the writing of the songs, and I did not notice this upon either of my viewings. I've actually picked up on this in my multiple times listening to the soundtrack, but there's such prophecy in these songs. You know, early on um, in in one of the first renditions of City of Stars that we get uh, by Sebastian, it's just very haunting. And he he ends it, and he's, one of his lines, he says, um, or is this just one more dream that I cannot make true? Mm-hmm. Which, come to find out, that is exactly what happens. It is one more dream that he can't make true. Yes, he ultimately makes his dream of the ultimate dream of his club come true, but it tells us something about his character as well. It tells us that he's gone through this pain of not being able to succeed or not have relationships be successful before. Um, and so it kind of is this foreshadowing when you don't mm-hmm. even realize it because you you're not really paying attention too much to the lyrics. You're just kind of caught up in the emotion and the music and the dancing and the filming. But when you just pay attention to the words, it tells you something about what's coming. And the same thing happens later with Mia in her amazing, 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 amazing solo, um, which is at the moment. That's the moment when I said, this is a best actress performance, uh, worthy performance. I, I, I thought it many times, but the moment that she auditions and has to, and does this solo. Yeah. Um, you know, the very last line of this story tell that she tells in this audition is she's talking about her aunt, I believe. And, and how she she ended up chasing her dreams, and it you know didn't it was an amazing experience, and then it didn't work out, uh, and she ends up I believe dying due to alcoholism or something it is is really kind of the way this tale goes, but the final the final line of that is smiling through it, she said she'd do it again, and mm. that to me is the hook of the movie is the same thing as Arrival it's telling it's saying. It was beautiful, and it was terrible, and it was an amazing experience, and it was miserable, but it defined me, it molded me, it created me, it got me to be who I am, and the experience alone was worth it. I wouldn't go back and not have that experience just to avoid suffering the ending pain or the end result. And That's I just, so good. I think it's amazing that he was able to do that in these songs before we even realize it. And you can't, you can't know until you've seen the whole thing in context and you go back and you hear them and you say, Oh my goodness gracious, you know? And, and really just beyond that, all of the lyrics to these songs are incredible. The more I've listened to them, the more I begin to sing them out loud and know them. Um, they really are fantastic. <laughs> just, just fantastic. One of the things I love about uh, the performances in this, uh, about the singing one of the, the criticisms i've heard is about ryan gosling singing people have said oh you know it's a good movie but i just don't like ryan gosling's singing voice i truly think that this is an intentional deal i don't sure. you know mia and sebastian as characters neither of them are musicians one is an actress and one is a jazz pianist uh and so i i take a lot of value out of what feels like realistic singing performances from both of them. And one of the 
best parts of this film to me is the way in which Mia particularly a couple of different times in songs chuckles. She's Mm -hmm. in the middle of singing and she just chuckles and it's, (laughs) I mean, I get like choked up just thinking about it because of how powerful it is. It's, it's, it's such an amazing depiction of a character who is feeling the emotion in the moment and it's so subtle, so very subtle, um, but so realistic. And to leave that in there, to not look for this perfect song with no miscues and no hiccups. Even the music, some of the music, if you listen to the piano stro- uh, keys and the way that the the uh, the notes are hit, there are times when they it doesn't the next note is not the note you're expecting in your head. Like if you were playing the melody, you would expect like a higher note to hit. And instead you kind of get a dull under, you know, low notes. And I feel like this is very intentional um, because it's just, ah, I don't know. It's like jazz, man. Like Ryan Gosling says, you know, like it, (laughs) it's about feeling and I I love it. Mm -hmm. I would say a couple of things that uh, to, to what you just said very well, uh, you mentioned best actress performance, uh, especially in that scene. Um, and I would absolutely 100% agree with that. It's because she's not, she's not, we're talking about an actress who is not a professionally trained singer. Um, so she's doing that. She's performing right vocally um, on camera and it's another long take. And so if you listen to Chazelle talk about how they had to shoot that scene, shot it all in one take without much rehearsal. And then they have people moving, moving props in and out as she's doing it. And it takes just sort of an iron will and an iron focus and determination not to be looking around naturally. Um, so it's one heck of a performance in, in that scene and throughout the entire movie. So I think she absolutely deserves that nomination and, and probably the the award, in my mind at least. Um, so so definitely that. And since you've been pointing out a lot of the wonderful song lyrics and a lot of the notes that that we hear that we don't expect and all these things, we've been talking about Chazelle a lot, rightfully so, because he directed and wrote the film and he's he's great. Um, but I think we would also be a little bit remiss if we didn't mention Justin Hurwitz. Oh yes, we would. Who is the composer? Yes, um, he was. So who wrote with Chazelle a lot of these lyrics and has composed these these wonderful musical numbers. And he worked with uh, Chazelle on Whiplash as well. So they're, they're really, it seems like they're partners in crime and that Hurwitz even helps, you know, hash out some of the, the narrative elements. Um, so it very much seems like they're, they're, they're uh, a dynamic duo. So Hurwitz certainly deserves a ton of credit for his work here too. He does, and and he's someone that I will I will be paying close attention to uh, if he is ever to you know separate himself. Obviously, I'm actually already on pins and needles, like ready to to see what Chazelle's next project's going to be and and where he's going to take us. I'm, I mean, I'm ready for it tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and how long is it going to be? Because he worked on this film for I think I mean from the time he first came up with the idea to to now eleven years. Uh, yeah, six years of actual production working through, you know, musical numbers and all that stuff with Justin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a long, long burn. Um, he actually was going to direct 10 Cloverfield lane, uh, and backed out of that, 
that's right because i believe because of whiplash sometimes it's confusing because of like when movies actually come out is not anywhere close to when they started getting made um but i think it might have been actually whiplash that he backed out of that because he got the opportunity to make whiplash uh, which talk about a win-win um i think and not that i don't think he could have done a phenomenal job at anything he does he wants to do but the fact that we were able to get whiplash and la la land out of him and then have an amazing talent in dan trachtenberg pick up 10 cloverfield lane and run with that one it just was was it worked out perfectly mm-hmm. um but yeah he i don't know what Chazelle's gonna do next um or when uh, i i just i will be can't wait for it huh. yeah on some levels yeah but on others i, I am going to be rewatching and and reliving this movie forever i I truly am I mean this is this is a movie that is contending at this point in my in my forever spot like my mm-hmm. iconic iconic number 1 type of spot of my list I, I keep telling myself no you know I'm going to I'm going to leave Lord of the Rings and Princess Bride up there because of history um and I think that that's important and context mm-hmm. is important and this has been a week of passion and I'm a, I'm a passionate person. And that's something that really resonates with me about this movie. Um, one of my favorite lines in the film is people love what other people are passionate about. And that, def- that is, that is so me, uh, to a T because I, I have a tattoo of the words burn, burn, burn on one of my ankles. And it's part of a quote uh, from Jack Kerouac and one of his novels uh, on the road. And the context is uh, that he says the one, the only ones for me are the mad ones. And he's saying that, you know, he wants, he, he wants to live and be connected to people that live with passion, that people who go about everything in their life as if like they're going all out for it. And that's what Sebastian is. You know, that's what his character is. And that's what Mia's telling him in that moment. She's saying, you know, I love you because you're passionate about this. And, uh, and it's, it's even more connective because podcasting, having found like my true passion, I'm 37 years old and just started this within the last year, but this is the first hobby or first interest I've ever had in my life that has ever come close to Mm -hmm. what I see portrayed on screen here. And that's how I feel about it. And so it puts me in those characters shoes and lets me compare it to myself. Absolutely. I mean, couldn't you, I could just listen to Chazelle Wright, Ryan Gosling talking about jazz for hours. Those scenes where he's talking about why he loves jazz so much. It's like, I could listen to that. Like make that, make that a 10, 15 minute scene. I could listen to it. I know. I know I could too. It's, it's the writing is impeccable. I, you know, the second time around, I actually kind of tried to look for some things. I was like, okay, there's gotta be some, some dialogue in here that doesn't work for me. And I couldn't find it. So I'm done looking. <laughs> I don't, I don't need to find it. Uh, you know, I, I love it. The way, the way his character is written, he's just such a sarcastic, witty guy. And, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about, one of my favorite moments in this film is the party that they meet at. And, uh, the reason that this is a big deal to me is I believe that there are, these iconic well I don't, not I believe this is a this is an objective fact there are films where 
a song is played during a scene and it is a very iconic moment and it is something that you you almost you can't separate it so when you hear that song you think about that movie and some examples of this would be time of my life you think dirty dancing gray balls of fire for me the moment i hear gray balls of fire i see goose and maverick and top gun girl you'll be a woman soon pulp fiction uh, old time rock and roll. I see Tom Cruise again in Risky Business. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I see Wayne's World. Eye of the Tiger. I can't hear Eye of the Tiger obviously without seeing Rocky Three, and and that montage. And for me, this movie gave me another one of those moments, and it's when he plays Iran, when Mia, <laughs> Mia, when Mia suggests Iran. The beauty of this scene, the way in which these characters interact, this is all you need to know about the chemistry that these two actors have together. When she suggests it and Sebastian just looks at her like, you can't be serious. You're not, you're not doing this. And, <laughs> and she starts singing and dancing and she's like, who, me? You know, and she's giving him these looks and she's, and then she's doing like intentional, almost intentionally bad dancing. It's just, it's so brilliant. And of course it, you know, it all leads up to their, their ultimate little banter. Their banter is what gets me the most. I think I relate to it because I've had relationships where that banter is such a core element in the way we communicate. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. Like that's the kind of relationship I love. And I want is a relationship that lets me have that banter. Mm-hmm. And so when he's like, you can't request Iran from a serious musician and she's like, well, can I borrow your outfit? <laughs> Cause I have an audition next week. I'm playing a serious firefighter <laughs> and I just, yeah. I die. And so I can't, I can't hear Iran now without picturing Ryan Gosling with whatever it is he's playing that I, I forget. It's the keyboard that electronic keyboard mm-hmm. that you carry. Um, and just looking at her and shaking his head the whole time, just feeling, just looking completely dejected as he plays. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm doing this and I'm playing Flock of Seagulls right now. Yeah. For me in this film, I think City of Stars is that song, and I'm never going to hear that whistling <laughs> without thinking of Ryan Gosling on that um, on that pier. Oh, and then there's this wonderful yes. little bit where he starts dancing with a woman on the pier and her husband He's... the entire time is just like giving him this look. And then finally, you know, like, you know, it's like, get out of the way and, and they dance. <laughs> and together. they dance. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. I, one, one of the, one of the things I collect um, is boutique movie posters. And I'm really hoping that um, some artist is going to design a La La Land poster that either features that, uh, that scene on the pier or the scene of them on the bench looking out over the city with the sunset. Mm. Um, yeah. Such a pretty film. Yeah, it really is the, uh, you know, I, it's a, it's actually the first movie I immediately ran out and looked for the poster to buy. Uh, and mm. I'm still, I'm still working on finding the right one uh, to purchase, but I'm going to actually have this poster in my, my house because I love it so much. And, mm. Um, yeah, the colors and the lighting just all throughout it are incredible. I mean, gosh, there's so much to talk about. The the way in which, the technically speaking, the way in which we shift into these surreal moments. I mean, we go and all of a sudden we're dancing in the stars, <laughs> like literally in the planetarium scene. Um, and then again in that ending sequence that is just uh, – the ending sequence is one of the best, best filmed things I've ever seen in my life. 
where they're mm-hmm. dancing and singing and moving their way through their, their life's journey. And especially the sequence in Paris, um, mm-hmm. where they're going through and you kind of see cardboard cut out like scenes that they're passing through and, and ultimately, and then we see her audition in black and white and, um, Oh, goodness the, the colors everything about it just it does it it wells me up with emotion um and the one other thing i wanted to to mention too was i said earlier how i'm taking my 13 year old daughter to this i was so happy that this is such a chaste movie mm-hmm. it's so pleasant there it's pg-13 um there's a uh, you know a little bit of language you can't be pg-13 with uh, any more than one f word so there's only one f word in it um, there's no sex at all that we see. I mean, we see them sleeping in a bed together, uh, but they're always clothed. And I just, I was blown away by that. I was blown completely away that we got a love story that didn't include any kind of sexual desire as part of the, the longing between these two characters. It, it was, it was a very honest and real and deep love. And and that's partially what makes it even more tragic at the end because it's, you know, it's real, you know, it's a, it's a true connection. It's not based on just their physical, um, attraction to each other. That's a really good point. And it seems like it's keeping perfectly in line with a lot of the classic Hollywood musicals that this film is, is, uh, drawing inspiration from in many ways. Yeah, speaking of those real quick, did you have you seen some of these? So I know that Chazelle has been outspoken and said that his favorite film of all time is Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a French cinema musical. I believe it's actually, from what I understand, it is completely sung from beginning mm-hmm. to end. There's no dialogue that is not sung. Have you, I think you've seen that, right? But it's been a while. I know it's you... been a while. It's it's one of those that I look at films so differently now that it's almost like I haven't seen it. So yeah. I technically have, but not enough to, to really speak about it in any relevant way. Yeah, I'm um, really excited to check that one out just to see that. And I think uh, Girls from Rochefort was another influence. Uh, mm-hmm. American in Paris, or Young Girls of Rochefort, an American in Paris. Basically anything with uh, you know Fred Astaire and Ginger Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, or Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, um, those performers. It, it's amazing how you know the Fred Astaire and uh, Ginger Rogers duo. Like I, I put Gosling and and Emma right there now. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, on a longevity standpoint, they're not there clearly, right? Because these are two a duo that did so many amazing movies and so many amazing things, but. Um, performance wise and if you if you're putting one film up it's it's that level of good which is right. just mind blowing to me right yeah um and since since we've you mentioned other other musicals and I think you even mentioned dirty dancing earlier and that song being connected with a certain moment in the film um and since this is feeling film it seems like it's really healthy if I just confess something that Uh-oh. I'm terribly ashamed of yeah go um, for it there was a time in my life when I was about 11, I think, when I saw Dirty Dancing for the first time. And really, I've always I've always enjoyed musicals and loved the music. And there was a time in my life around 11 where 
I went to sleep to Dirty Dancing, the movie. I just put it in and went to sleep to that movie every single night. And I'm terribly, I'm terribly embarrassed by that. But now it's out there. Um, Nobody puts Blaine in the corner. It's funny too. It's funny too. Like there was nothing. It wasn't. It wasn't about um, the romance or like. I think there's like one like sort of sex scene. It's been years since I've seen it. Now I think there's like one sort of sex scene. It was nothing like that 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 made me as like a young preteen boy want to see it. I just I genuinely loved the music and I just loved falling asleep to it at night. Um, so yeah, I've got that out there now. People can hold that over my head or not anymore since I've confessed it. That's awesome. Yeah, I you know, I've really connected with musicals more in recent years as I've gotten older. Um I wasn't a big fan of them when I was in my teens and you know, as I've become I guess more refined in a lot of ways and and just have more respect for cinema and film and the technical aspects of filmmaking and you know, what went into creating those amazing scenes and singing in the rain, like, you know, people breaking their feet literally to achieve what they achieved. And then, you know, here we see some of that with this, this freeway scene. I've, I've read about that initial dance number and, and it took two days to film it. Uh, they had to deal with, you know, overcast clouds at times. And it was, I think there was a hundred cars and 90 actors and uh, Mandy Moore, the choreographer, very famous choreographer, not the singer, uh, mm-hmm. different, different Mandy Moore. But, um, she was talking about how, you know, they had built these, these sets to try this out and they really quickly realized that the moment you started dancing on top of cars, you ruined them. You dented the hoods and the, the tops of the cars. And that was a real thing that they had to overcome. And, you know, I, I recalled several articles I'd read about this or reviews and people saying, you know, that cannot be a real scene. There's no way you actually are able to do that in L.A. You can't shut that down. But in reality, they did. They shut down part of a ramp for two days to achieve this. So what you see there on the actual freeway is the scene, is is the filming crew. And then if you pay attention somewhat, you can see the lower level beneath where their ramp is, the cars that are moving some. And some of that is actual traffic, you know, like how cool would it be to be in one of those cars stuck in traffic and know that forever you're immortalized because La La Land, <laughs> you're in this amazing dance number that's happening above you. Um, right. So cool. So cool. Just yeah. what they, what these people go through to, to make those things happen. Um, I just have a, a whole new respect for the whole art of the musical. Indeed. And it's funny too. You talked about, uh, how even these individual songs can make us feel very complex emotions start a fire. That's the big, uh, pop song that, um, Sebastian works on with John legend at the, in the concert scene. Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's a catchy song and, um, Hurwitz and Chazelle did an interview together and they were talking about how it was like, well, we knew we had to make this song like, bad in the sense that it was just a generic pop song but not so bad that nobody would want to listen to it and so you know i think you find when you're listening to that song in the film like you find it off-putting um because it doesn't sound like something sebastian should do it doesn't it doesn't sound as emotionally raw and open and honest as the kind of jazz that he that he normally plays um because it's way too synthetic it's way too poppy but at the same time it's the kind of song that you 
tap your feet to. And I'm going to be really curious to see if at all, if this song makes it as a single on the radio, um, which would be hilarious and ironic. Ironic. Yes, it would. It would. It so would. And, and, you know, and Mia says it perfectly in the, in the movie, you know, he asks her at one point, he's like, you know, do you even like what we're playing? Well, she asks him first, you know, she's like, do you like what you're playing? And he's like, do you? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> she's like, but, but I don't know if you do, you know? And, um, I, I thought I had the same reaction. It was, it was like, I almost felt bad for liking that song. I actually tweeted John legend by the way. And I was like, Hey John, uh, could you please put an, out an album as the messengers? Cause I, I'll buy this. This is amazing. Like I loved it. Um, I loved both. I love the traditional jazz, uh, music that we got in this, but I also, I, that that is an achievement you know like you said to create something that is intentionally going against the desires of the characters but yet at the same time still really good music um and and again with the brilliant lyrics placement uh if you listen to the lyrics of that song and what it's saying and when it's happening in the film and what's going on emotionally between these characters that's exactly what's going down <laughs> it's starting mm-hmm. to fire you know mm-hmm. so it's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, do you have uh, anything else uh, that we have missed that you wanted to add? I think we've hit all all of my main points. I'm afraid if I talk anymore, I'll confess. I'll confess something else, like another uh, terrible movie that I <laughs> that well, I watched all the time growing up. Now you're tempting me to go on. Um, yeah, I I don't really either. I think uh, I think we've gotten to the bulk of everything here. I I just will kind of end and echo that. This is an amazing film, and I know that everyone listening to this at this point has seen it, so me petitioning you to go see it again is not going to be much help. Um, but what I will petition you to do is to share this. Um, it's it's the type of film that is a great communal experience or a great shared experience, whether it's you know Blaine and his wife or, or me and my daughter, uh, me and a couple of my good guy friends. Um, the different conversations that you can have with different people in your life about this um, is something very unique because the, the conversations I'm going to have with my daughter are different than the conversations Blaine is going to have with his wife uh, and so forth. So <clears throat> I urge everyone just share this sucker, um, keep supporting it, whether it's buying it wherever you can rent it, spend money on it so that uh, the studios will keep backing Chazelle and uh, keep putting out this incredible art because I know I want more of it. Mm-hmm, me too. Well, Blaine, if people want to uh, make fun of you for your dirty dancing story or talk to you about your opinions on La La Land and Whiplash, uh, where can they do that online? Now I just picture myself like doing a Ron Swanson and getting off the grid and just going and destroying my computer so that nobody can do that. While uh, probably watching Dirty Dancing as you go to bed tonight. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, you can find me on realworldtheology.com. Um, I have a podcast that I run there and I write reviews. You can also find me writing stuff at christandpopculture.com where I don't just talk about movies. I talk about comic books and novels and whatever else strikes my fancy. So you can find me in those places. Good stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I encourage everyone to check out Blaine's stuff. Um, he does really good work, uh, particularly there's an episode on Super 8 that I, I highly recommend. Um, <laughs> that a great, was a great host, too. A great, like I've had great co-host. Uh, that was a great one. Shares a name with me, oddly enough. Um, if you would like to 
continue the conversation with me. Uh, you can find me anywhere online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, or at the Feelin' Film Show Twitter, at Feelin' Film, uh, Feelin' Film Facebook, Feelin' Film Facebook group. All of these links are in the show notes uh, and then also on feelinfilm.com. We thank you for listening. Uh, you are the reason we do this because it's great fun for us to talk to each other. But turning on a mic and knowing that uh, we are able to engage with others out there is really what fuels uh, those of us who, who love doing this uh, and have a passion for podcasting because it's the community that makes it what it is. Uh, Blaine and I could get on and talk about a movie together all week long, uh, but being able to bring more opinions into that conversation and into that discussion is the best part. So find us online and talk to us. That's that's really where this is uh, something that shines. Uh, hope that everyone had a good time and uh, come back for the next episode. Brief apologies that this uh, is not mini so length. <laughs> uh, one of our listeners made a joke uh, previous to this episode saying yeah right that this was going to be a mini-sode because he knew how much i loved it and uh, his prediction is correct so scott kelly good job <laughs> you called it bro uh, until next time everybody stay positive and keep feeling film <laughs>